How many of you, you feel like your life is being transformed by the teaching of the kingdom of God? That's coming forth from this pulpit to you. And I know it's of God because that's in my spirit and has been for a long time. The ministry of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. That's what Jesus said would bring the end. When the gospel of the kingdom goes into all nations, then shall the end come. So I'm glad that with all the changes that are taking place in the earth, the only thing that doesn't change and will not change and cannot change is in us. The kingdom of God doesn't come with observation, but it's within us. Which means that if it's in us, whatever God puts in us is meant to manifest out here. Right? Right? We, we talk about so many things. This has been one of the greatest trips that I've enjoyed with Pastor Lee. We've talked about some very deep things of God. Some very intimate things of God. And uh, I told him that I heard someone say about J. Dwight Pentecost. He was talking about the kingdom. He said, first of all, we have been given the right to rule. The authority to rule. He said, we have been given a realm to rule. That is, we've been given a sphere of influence. And he said, we've been given the ability to manifest that rule. So that's true of all of us today. What a privilege to be a king under the king of kings. To be a priest under our high priest. To be able to assimilate all that he's doing there in heaven. And for him to tell us, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus never taught us to pray that he would build the church. He said, I'm going to do that. But how many of you know he did say, pray thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So that's what's happening today. I know you've been blessed already. I have as well. Glad to have my beautiful wife, Kim, over here to my right. And your left over here. She doesn't get to travel with me a whole lot. She works in the public school system as an elementary school counselor. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's tragic what's happening to this young generation. But Jesus is going to change that. He's changing lives. And I've heard from somebody that would know that uh, in uh, right on the, the river there that would separate Oregon and Washington, there is actually a great youth revival that's transpiring and and young people are gathering for worship and they're hearing the gospel and they're being transformed you're not going to hear that on the mainstream media but it's happening i can tell you this kingdom is advancing it really is what a joy with all the stuff that's changing the writer of hebrews said that that there's going to be a shaking in heaven and earth everything that can be shaken will be shaken but when it's all said and done you know what it shakes out Seeing, therefore, that we have received the kingdom. That's all that's left is the kingdom of God for us. Everything else is gone. And I'm glad to tell you today that the kingdom of God is the ruler. It's Christ. He is the king of that kingdom. It's his rule. He governs us. Sister Carla spoke about that today, that the government is on his shoulders. We also not only have the ruler and his rule in our lives, but we also have that realm from there that manifests into this one. And I can tell you that when that realm manifests into this one, this one has to submit. It can't say no. That realm has to submit. When he, tell, when he walks on water and he tells storms to be still and for waves to be quiet, the wind to be quiet, guess what? It has to obey. 
Because that's the realm of God manifesting. That's the realm of Jesus manifesting. And it means we have his resources. The riches of his glory manifesting in our lives. Man, I want every sick person in this room to be healed today. It's his will to heal. Your sickness is a fact that you're healed is the truth. Got two amens and a groan and a head nod. Your sickness is a fact, but with the stripes you are healed. That's the truth. That's what the Bible says. Guess what? All the promises of God in Christ are what? Yes and amen. Unto the Father, unto the glory of God by us. So when I receive my yes and I receive my amen from the covenant, guess what? The glory of God manifests. I give glory to God. It manifests by me. That's incredible. That's why we need you to be healed. That's why we need you to be delivered. That's why we need God to do his thing in you that he promised you he would do. Because it goes to the glory of the Father. Your good work glorifies the Father. Well, that's all free today. It didn't cost you anything. Okay? We're glad to be here. It's such a joy always. And we look forward. We got to share in the uh, outreach last night. Got to eat your jambalaya. No crawfish pie. <laughs> and no Philly gumbo. But I did get to see my machado meal. <laughs> uh, enough of that. 10,000 comedians out of work and I'm saying stupid stuff like that. We're looking forward to being at Christie's place. I hear it's beautiful and we look forward to sharing uh, tonight with you as well. Let's stand together, if you will, please, in honor of the word. First Chronicles 17. As I was praying into this service, and I have been for several days... I've been looking at the scriptures I'm going to share with you today for several days. I I just heard the Lord say this. He said, David, I want you to go prophesy. So that's what I'm here to do today. There will be preaching in it, but I'm here to prophesy. I'm not a prophet. I don't put labels on me. That's up to the Lord what he wants me to be. But I feel today I have a prophetic anointing. Upon my life. And as such, I believe what that means is that God has put me into your future. And my goal, my job, my priority is to call you there. That's what a prophet does. Stands in your future and he calls you to that point. So that's what I'm here to do today. I'm not here to set precedent. I can't do that. That's your pastor that does that. But I believe today that in in a complimentary role that I'm here today to prophesy to you a very powerful word from God. I'm terrified. I'm before you in fear and trembling today. I don't feel like I'm the guy to do it, but for some reason I'm the guy to do it. So I want you to hear what the Spirit of the Lord, I want everybody in this room to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to First New Testament Church. This is your word. I've not said this anywhere else. This is your word for right now. When I give you a rhema word, that becomes the sword of the spirit. Which is the word of God. I'm putting a weapon in your hand. And better yet, I'm putting a weapon in your mouth. 
Because that's where his sword is. In his mouth. So Father, I pray right now that you will speak to the people. I know we prayed. Lord, I'm asking you right now that every demonic spirit, every spirit of distraction, every spirit of deception, you're rebuked and you are cast forth from this place. For we are temples of the Holy Spirit and of the Holy Spirit alone. So Holy Ghost, be my anointing today. Be the teacher to the people. Let me say what you want me to say. Let the people come with joy into their future that you are calling them to. Manifest this word. Confirm this word. With signs following. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody shouted amen. First Chronicles 17. Just remain standing if you will. Verse 15. The Bible says according to all these words and according to all this vision. So did Nathan... Speak unto David. Take time to go back and read it if you will. I'll read some of it as we go along. But take time to read the the, the pretext to this text today. David the king came and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I? In my spirit I have saw this church setting before the Lord in response to what I'm going to say. I see you doing this. He sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? What is mine house that thou hast brought me hitherto? Yet this was a small thing in thine eyes, O God. For thou hast also spoken of thy servant's house for a great while to come. And hast regarded me according to the estate of a man of high degree, O Lord God. What can David speak more to thee for the honor of thy servant? For thou knowest thy servant. O Lord, for thy servant's sake and according to thine own heart. Hast thou done all this greatness in making known all these great things? Everybody shout great things. Great things. You've done all this greatness in making known all these great things. O Lord, there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And what one nation in the earth is like thy people Israel, whom God went to redeem to be his own people. To make thee a name of greatness and terribleness by driving out nations from before thy people whom thou hast redeemed out of Egypt. For thy people Israel didst thou make thine own people forever. And thou, Lord, becamest their God. Therefore now, Lord, let the thing, that great thing, that great thing that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house be established forever and do as thou hast said. Let it even be established that thy name may be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God of Israel, even a God to Israel. Let the house of David, thy servant, be established before thee. For thou, O my God, hast told thy servant that you will build him a house. Therefore, your servant hath found in his heart to pray before you. And now, Lord, you are God and has promised your goodness Unto thy servant. Now therefore let it please thee to bless the house of thy servant. That it may be for be before thee forever. For thou blessest, O Lord. And it shall be blessed forever. Everybody said amen to the reading of the word. You can be seated today in the presence of the Lord. <clears throat> this is what I'm to tell you today. 
your next thing will be a great thing. Your next thing will be a great thing. Now see, I know in my spirit some of you had difficulty in responding to that because of how hard and difficult it is right now to process the idea and the truth that great things can occur. Especially when there is so much trauma, tragedy, and turmoil in the context of the earth. And yet our spirits have been engineered by God with supernatural endurance to navigate through these difficult things to get to what I call God's eternal and exquisite ends. James 5.11 says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. We count them happy which endure. Listen to this. You have heard of the patience of Job. The endurance of Job is legendary. But it goes on to say we have seen the end of the Lord. So you've got the patience of Job. You've got the endurance of Job that he endures to get through to God's end. And James says that the Lord is very pitiful and he is of tender mercy. Another verse that would identify something of value to this idea of endurance is, it says that Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible. So this is primary, this is vital to our ability to endure that we can see God. That when we were born again, we have the ability now, we were given the faculty to see the kingdom of God and to see the God of that kingdom. So seeing God is very vital to endurance. But so, listen to this now, but so is seeing things through the eyes of God. It's one thing to see God, but it's another thing to start viewing life and viewing things from God's perspective. Because there's a, there's a phrase that you will see repetitively used in the Bible, and it's the phrase, in the sight of God. In the sight of God. In fact, one thing that it says about something being great in the sight of God was John the Baptist himself. His own dad was prophesying over his life. And, and Zechariah said about John the Baptist, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Now, you know how John was dressed and you know what his, what his menu was. I mean, <laughs> nobody's looking to go to John the Baptist restaurant for a romantic dinner. Yes, I'll have your grasshopper stew. I'll have your honey and biscuits. No, nobody's going to, to do that. So my point is John was not great in society's sight, but he was great in the sight of the Lord. And that's very important to note that. In fact, Jesus would say about John the Baptist, he said that no man ever born of a woman was greater than John the Baptist. And yet everybody, the least person that's born in the kingdom of God is greater than him. But we're talking about seeing things from God's perspective. Here's what you have to understand today, ladies and gentlemen. The sight of God, God's eyes have the ability to make things either macro or micro. God's eyes can make things large and beautiful or God's eyes has the ability to micro them, to bring them into smallness, to, to minimize them. 
So we have to allow the Holy Spirit to adjust our vision to that of the standard of God. Hear this again in our text. First, first Chronicles 17, verses 16 and 17. David the king came and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? What is mine house that you have brought me hitherto? Listen to what he said next. Yet this was a small thing in thine eyes. This was a small thing in your eyes, O God, for you have spoken of the, your servant's house for a great, great while to come and has regarded me according to the estate of a man of high degree, O Lord God. Now, if you were to ask me, I would say how God dealt with David's life was macro. I would have said, man, you have, you have absolutely maximized this guy's life. I would say it was a great thing. But now what David has heard from the prophet Nathan has caused him to see things differently from God's point of view. He saw, he thought my ascent was great until God began to speak to him about the future of his descendants. So we can say it like this. David's ascent to spiritual greatness was a small thing, but David's descendants being established as forever great was a colossal thing. See, it changed everything about David's perspective. Now listen to me today, ladies and gentlemen. We are right now in the most unique move of the Holy Spirit that I have ever been a part of. It's unsettling to say the least. And I say, keep going, Lord. If this is how you want to do it, this is, this is the way you're going to manifest to your people to get your people ready for the great thing, then continue to do that. What I'm speaking of is that we are in the unique work of the Holy Spirit that some people have classified as the withering work or works of the Holy Spirit. The withering works of the Holy Spirit. I say that because Isaiah 40 verse 7 says, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. Aren't we seeing the frailty of man now? Aren't we seeing that we can't trust man for anything? The breath is in their nostrils. They are natural. They are soul. They are temporary. But thank God we have a Christ that when the Spirit moves upon us, our vision is brought higher and we don't see just an ordinary man. We see the man, Christ Jesus, who is the mediator of the new covenant. I don't know about you, but I'm glad to be on Mount Zion today. I'm not on Sinai. Sinai is Moses' mountain, but we've been brought to Mount Zion. Hallelujah. Because that's where Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant sits. And that's where his blood that speaks better things than that of Abel speaks on our behalf, not of guilt, but of cleanliness and and holiness and purity and righteousness. That's who we are. That's, that's where we dwell today. So we are in the midst of this withering work of the Holy Spirit. He's blowing on everything that's natural. He's bringing it to nothing. But verse 8 says of Isaiah 40, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall endure. The word of our God shall endure forever. So I want to tell everybody in this room today, don't you resist the withering work of the Holy Spirit. You let him minimize everything he wants to minimize, 
Because when he is finished minimizing what he desires to minimize or to make micro, you're going to see Jesus in a macro form you've never saw him before. You're going to value the things of the Spirit and the things of the kingdom in a way you never have before. So don't resist this work. And hear this now. Don't try to salvage temporary landscapes. If the grass is withering and the flower is fading, don't you go over to that withering garden and pick up a petal of a flower and stick it in your Bible because what God is saying is all of that is over in your life now. Well, I don't like it, Brother Dave. I don't either. But I say, God, do it. Because thank God we're seeing How temporary everything is in this earth. How deceitful man can be. How evil men are. But we're seeing how good that God is. And we're seeing that his word endures forever. So David was one king of high degree. But his lineage would be many kings of a dynastic pedigree. See the difference? See the difference? David was one king of high degree, but his lineage would be many kings or, uh, or be a dynastic pedigree that would ultimately get to Jesus, the king of kings. Guess what? You're the fruit of that. You're the fruit of that. Now look at verses 1 and 2 again. Or first of all, First uh, Chronicles 17. Listen to this. I love what I'm about to tell you this morning. Now it came to pass as David sat in his house that David said to Nathan the prophet, Lo, I dwell in a house of cedars, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord remaineth under curtains. Then Nathan said unto David, Do all that is in thine heart, for God is with thee. I mean, that makes a man want to get his tool pouch and start building when you've got a prophet that's verifying what's in your heart. David was very, very stimulated spiritually after seeing the ark return to Jerusalem. His heart is so open. As he watched the ark be carried into the tent, the place, the Bible says, that he has prepared for the ark of the covenant. But as he began to contemplate the glory of that moment, he started perusing through his mind and realizing That where the ark is, it's a very basic, generic setting. He believed that this ark of God was worthy of a more worthy setting. So David being the lover of God that he is, being after God like he is, it's in his heart now to build the Lord a house. Then you've got Nathan the prophet, and he's a true prophet. He's not a false prophet. He's a prophet that comes to David and he gives prophetic confirmation. And when, when Nathan says, do what's in your heart, see how it looks like it becomes the next thing. David went to bed that night. I'm going to build God a house. He probably had dreams of what that house would look like. He's laying awake on his kingly bed he's kicked back and he's thinking oh i'm going to build god a house he drifts off into sleep 
He begins to have dreams of what that's going to be like. Why? Because his heart is full of that. Did you hear what I just said? His heart is full of that concept. But look at verses 3 and 4. It says, it came to pass the same night. While David finally drifts off into a joyful sleep, believing the next day he can get up and start the process of building God a house, the prophet now has an encounter with God. Came to pass the same night that the word of God came to Nathan saying, Go and tell David my servant, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt not build me a house to dwell in. So David was not allowed to do this great work of God. What was macro in David's heart was micro in God's sight. David wanted to do a great thing for God, but the Spirit of God blows on it and it withers away and it comes to nothing. Wow. But see, the word of the Lord endures forever. Isn't that what we heard? Did we read that out of Isaiah today? The word of God endures forever. So now you've got the word of God coming to the prophet Nathan. And when the Bible says that the word of the Lord endures forever, it can mean it ever endures us to the next and greater thing. It endures forever. But it means that it ever endures us into the next And greater things. Listen, my appeal to prophetic ministry today. We don't talk about prophetic ministry until they get it wrong. We don't talk about what they get right. Maybe that would be something good for us to do. To talk about the things they are saying that's right. Instead of preachers getting together and having prophet stew for dinner all the time. I can't stand that stuff. Let's talk about what they are getting right. But my contention with prophetic ministry would be that you need to speak God's heart at the expense of what's in man's heart. I want to say that again. Prophetic ministry, any ministry, needs to speak God's heart at the expense of what is in man's heart. Because when Nathan went and told David, You're not going to build God a house. David was astonished to find out that God was going to do something great for him. (laughs) He could not believe it that God was going to do something great for him. God said to David, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. Wow. That is incredible. I'm going to give you a messianic lineage. Your throne is going to, your your seed's going to be on the throne of God forever and ever. Look at verses 10 and 11. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, moreover, I will subdue all thine enemies. Furthermore, I tell thee that the Lord will build you a house. It shall come to pass when thy days shall be expired that thou must go to be with thy fathers, that I will raise up thy seed after thee, which shall be of thy sons, and I will establish his kingdom. 
David goes to bed believing I'm going to do something great for God starting tomorrow. But the next day the prophet comes to him and says, you've got it wrong, David. What you think is great in your sight is micro in God's sight. But God is saying, I'm going to build you a house, David, and it's going to be greater than you can imagine. Your seed, which sounds plural, is going to be contained in one man. His kingdom will last forever. And that man name is not Solomon. That man's name is Jesus. Come on. Give him praise today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The most graphic thing God says about David in the Bible. Actually, there's two things that I love. Was he was a man after God's own heart and that he served his generation after the will of God. That's why God established his throne forever. He was after God's heart. And he served his generation after the will of God. Now listen, you've got to get what I'm about to tell you right now. Part of being after God's own heart is being able to have what is in your heart diminished, redirected, or deleted. Part of being after God's own heart It's being able to have what is in your heart diminished, redirected, or deleted. The Spirit should have rights over us to adjust the substance in our heart into His abundance. I'm going to say that again too. The Spirit should have rights over us to adjust the substance in our hearts, transform it into His abundance, and then pray and speak through us out of the abundance of our heart. That's what happened for David. Go to verses 25 through 27 of 1 Chronicles 17. It says, For thou, O my God, hast told thy servant that thou wilt build him a house. Therefore thy servant hath found in his heart to pray before thee. That wasn't there. That wasn't on the radar the previous night. But now that Nathan is prophesying all of this macro information and revelation to David, David says, I found a prayer in my life that I didn't know existed. It's not based on the content of my life. It's based on the abundance of the life of Jesus. I cannot tell you today that if Jesus can change the content of your life, he can change the context of your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What an incredible moment. This is what God told me to tell you. Pastor Lee, you weigh it out. You you can rebuke me if you need to after this. I don't mind that. The next thing for this house will not be a great thing you do for him. It will be a greater thing he will do for you. Woo. I'd drive a long way to say that. Oh, I did. The next thing for this house is not going to be a great thing you're going to do for him. You thought that. But it's going to be a greater thing he will do for you. Miraculous. Otherworldly. From the glory. This is why Paul Paul understood this. 
principle. That's why he would write Philippians 2.13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God's going to do a great thing for you. You know what the Father's good pleasure is, little flock? It's to give you the kingdom. (laughs) Hallelujah. Yes, I will dance. (laughs) That's what Jesus said. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's what he's going to do for you. Brother Lee's been sowing the seed. It's going to germinate quickly. The kingdom is going to manifest in this house. It's going to manifest in Baton Rouge and around the world through your ministry. It's not you doing something great for God. It's God being great in and through you. I believe that to be true for my own life too. I do. I receive it for my own life. Now let's go to Ruth chapter 3. Let's go backward. To the book of Ruth. Chapter number 3. Ruth chapter 3. Let's pick up our reading in verse number 9. Ruth has come in to where Boaz is sleeping at the end of the heaps of the harvest. You know where she found him? She found him in the sphere of it is finished. This corn's been harvested. It's heaped up and he's sleeping there to watch over it, to keep it from thievery. That's where you're going to find Jesus in the sphere of it is finished. She is told by her mother-in-law, you go into him. Find out where he's sleeping. Find out where his place is. And you go there. She's there. He wakes up at midnight in verse number 8. Let's pick it up in verse 9. He said, who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter. I love this next phrase. For thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning. We know the Bible says that God's better at the end to his people than he was at the beginning. But can it be said of you? That's, a, that, that's incredible to me. You've shown more kindness in the latter end, Ruth, than you did at the beginning, inasmuch Thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman, howbeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. Now it looks like we have our next thing, doesn't it? Looks like we've got our next thing in view It's targeted now. Looks like it's not going to be Boaz. There's a kinsman redeemer that's nearer, that has greater rights to Naomi and her family's estate, including Ruth now. And Boaz is letting her know this. There's a kinsman nearer than I. Tarry this night and it shall be in the morning that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman well, 
Let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee. As the Lord liveth, lie down until the morning. Listen to me, FNT. Your next thing will not be the nearest thing. How many of you heard what I just said? Or, let me say it like this, your next thing will not be the most obvious thing. You're going to have a lot of palatable options. There's going to be things like Paul said. There's going to be a lot of things that look lawful, that look right. But it's not the expedient thing. Jesus said it's expedient for you that I go away. That's what we're looking for. The stuff that's going to bring the Holy Spirit. The stuff that's going to manifest God's realm into this earth. So your next thing will not be the nearest or the most obvious thing. Because I promise you, if you jump at the next thing that looks like it's what is God's will and God's intention for your life, that thing will never carry you as far as you need to go. Now, I'm prophesying to somebody today. You can't just jump on the next thing. It's the nearest to you. It's the most obvious. It's the easiest choice. But if you go there and you choose that, that thing will never carry you as far as God intends for you to go. Look at chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. He said unto the kinsmen, Naomi that has come again out of the country. Boaz is in the city gate now. He's got ten elders there. There is a legal council that's there to determine who's going to have the right to redeem Naomi and her family. He said unto the kinsman, the nearest one, that looks like the obvious next thing. Naomi that has come again out of the country of Moab selleth a parcel of land which was our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise thee, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. Looks like it's a done deal now. I'm going to redeem it. Then said Boaz, What day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. I've got good news today, folks. The thing that's supposed to be in your life is right now in conversation, reasoning out with the thing that looks like the obvious thing in your life. And the thing that's supposed to be in your life is going to begin to show its muscle and flex its muscle, and it's going to challenge the thing that you believe is the next thing. Are you listening to me? And it's going to say, okay, if you're going to be the next thing, then you've got to give it all to them. You've got to bless them in every way possible. But he was reluctant and refused to do it. Look at verse number 6. The kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar my own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself. I cannot redeem it. Hear me today, ladies and gentlemen. The nearest kinsman would only redeem the land, but he refused to redeem the lady and her losses. See, you don't want the next thing to be something that's going to limit what God intends to deposit and to release in your life. 
I'm like you are. Brother Lee and I, we've talked ad nauseum almost about the transition that everything and everybody seems to be in. The next thing looks like it would be this for my life and for my family's life. But there's something in me that says, David, you can't make the obvious choice as the next thing in your life. There is something just outside of that that will do everything in your life that God intends to be done in your life. Boaz was not only willing to redeem the land, he's willing to redeem the lady. And he's willing to rectify the losses of generational and inherent blessing in her seed that came with the death of her first husband, Malon. Hear me, ladies and gentlemen. Don't jump at the thing that looks obvious. Stay open. Stay attentive to what God is saying. And let Jesus tell you I've got something greater it's not what you can do for me it's what I am going to do for you I'm helping me I don't know if I'm helping you I need this word today I need it desperately verses 9 and 10 Boaz said unto the elders and to all the people you are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's all that was Kilion's and Malon's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon, hers, upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren, and from the gate of his place ye are witnesses this day. You know what raising up the seed is? It's the power and spirit of resurrection. This is your next thing. Redemption for and resurrection in all things. Redemption for and resurrection in all things. And don't you settle for anything less than that. We do a disservice to the power of resurrection or the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead when we only make it about the externals. Paul said the power that raised Jesus from the dead was wrought in Christ. It didn't happen to him. It was wrought in him. See how flippant we say stuff. Jesus was raised from the dead. But you know what that means? That means his spirit was returned to his body. You know what that means? That means his soul was restored in his body. That means his body was raised up. That means that now the prophecy of Isaiah over the life of Jesus, now he had the ability to see his seed and his days could now be prolonged. Well, I wish God would do this and I wish God would do this. I wish I could see God doing this. Well, listen, you've got to allow resurrection to put all the guts of things back together. You've got to allow him to go deep into stuff, to bring the spirit of that thing back, to bring the soul of that thing back. Raising up seed to us is the uh, God's building his house through us and in us. It's the spirit of resurrection that also is classified as the spirit of holiness. Holiness is newness of life in Jesus. So God wants to restore, redeem everything, yes, but he wants to restore everything back to life. See, seed is future. The future that Ruth thought she could never have, the obvious thing would have never got her to it. But Boaz represents Christ, 
redeemed her, redeemed her land, but also rectified the loss that was in her life. I'm going to raise up seed to you. I'm going to give you the future you never thought you could have. I'm going to build a house. I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to build you a house. And the gates of hell can't prevail against it. Come on, lift your hand up right now. I just feel the Holy Ghost in this house right now. Come on, praise Him. Just love Jesus. He's going to do it for you. That obvious thing could never do this for you. Whoo. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want you to stand with me all across the building. I'm going to say this. I, I believe this is a prophetic word. That I'm about to release to you. I believe it's for this church. I heard the Lord say. A seed. And when I say a seed. The word of God's seed. It's a word of words of God. A seed will be released to you. That will fill the spirit of this house with messianic and generational blessing. Through which the Lord's divine nature and divine power will manifest. Pastor Lee, your own prophecy of something occurring that will make the gospel famous again will occur in and through your own life. But you, you told me that about a year ago. You believe something was going to occur to make the gospel famous again. It's going to occur in and through your own life. As the desire for Boaz's name to be famous in Bethlehem was on the lips of the elders of Bethlehem, so will your prophecy be fulfilled. The many sons Jesus brought into glory will begin to manifest his glory in the earth. You let that sink in. The many sons that Jesus has brought into glory will begin to manifest his glory in the earth. And Jesus was declared to be the son of God in holiness and power by the resurrection of the dead. So will the sons of God begin to manifest the glory of God in the earth. I've come to tell somebody in this room, you're going to get terrain back. You're going to get territory back. But it's not going to be with the previous plantings. That grass has withered. Those flowers have faded. But new seeds of the word of God have planted. A new future for you. Some of you are about to receive validation. For choices of sacrifice and sanctification. That you've made. What if Ruth would have took the next thing. Instead of the God thing. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Your lamb will be my land. She never would have got the full benefit. But she made sanctification choices. She made sacrificial choices. And now Boaz was the validation for all of those choices. You're about to receive them. You're about to receive them. Some of you are about to get back what you've lost. The loss of dreams. The loss of future. God's going to raise up seed. That's what he told David. I'm going to raise your seed up. I'm going to raise your seed up. 
See, it's not what somebody did for God. It's what God did for somebody. I'm going to raise your seed up. For you and that of your sons. God's going to do this for you and Jesus. And I've come to decree over somebody's life. God is going to change your trauma into triumph. Complete and total restoration will be yours. So God's word to you is let what is withering go. Let what God is willing and working in you come. Hear it again. Let what is withering go. Let what God is willing and working in you come. Come on, lift your hand up again. Let's praise Jesus right now. Praise God. Sister, I would have spoke every word for you today. In the name of Jesus. Do it, Lord. The power of resurrection. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Come on, if that's you today, you need this word to manifest, to be worked and massaged into your life, to become the grafted word. You come to this altar today. You come on. I'm telling you, church, I know you want to do great things for God. Who doesn't? But God wants you to know it's not the great thing you're going to do for him. It's a great thing he's going to do for you. God's going to do it. Life's going to make the gospel famously like never